Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Jude. I'll be reading this morning verses 20 and 21 in the book of Jude. This is printed in your order of worship for you. Let us give ear now to the reading of the holy and inerrant and the life-giving word of the Lord. Jude, beginning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we do come now before you with your word open before us, and we would ask for your divine aid that we might understand it, that we might be built up by it, and that we might benefit to the good of our souls and for the glory of your name. Would you bless the preaching and hearing of your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. John Bunyan's classic allegory of the Christian life, The Pilgrim's Progress, paints a vivid and accurate portrait of the lifelong spiritual journey of the Christian life throughout the experience of Christian and his companions, faithful and hopeful. We are shown all of the ups and downs and troubles and trials and struggles and dangers that feature what it means to be a Christian life throughout Bunyan gives us a wonderful picture of what it means to become a Christian, but that is at the very beginning of the book. And what he portrays so accurately thereafter is that the Christian life is one that calls for lifelong endurance. There are all-consuming spiritual struggles. There are temptations and battles and enemies galore in our earthly pilgrimage. And in these two verses before us this morning, Jude gives us his own summary statement, as it were, of Christian perseverance. Here is the sum and substance of what it means when Jude urges us to contend for the faith. And what this text lays out before us this morning is simply this. The Christian life is a life of perseverance in the grace of God. I want us to see this uh, very simply under two headings. First, Jude gives us the call to persevere, and then he shows us the way to persevere. First, we see the call to persevere. These two verses have one single command at their center. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What are these believers to do faced with the danger of falling away into the error of a false gospel. Jude commands them, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, is this command for us to maintain our love for God, or is this a command for us to keep ourselves in God's love for us? And most commentators agree, I think rightly, that the reference here is first and foremost to keeping ourselves in the sphere of God's love for us. Peter Davids explains, as we have seen, Jude 1, and verse 20 even before us, has already stated that God loves Jude's readers. Now he commands them to be actively involved in remaining in God's love. The idea here is remaining within the sphere of God's love for believers. Jesus 
would use similar language. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide or remain in my love. Then he would go on to explain what that looks like for his disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So now, first and foremost, Jude is saying that this is something that we are to do. Keep yourselves. What Jude is presenting here in this command is part of the Bible's teaching on something we know as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. This is a call for believers to persevere in the faith. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints teaches that those who are saved by grace must continue in faith until the end. Revelation chapter 14 verse 12 puts it in this language. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. It is the the clear biblical teaching that true saints will and must persevere in the faith. The Apostle John in his first epistle wrote of those who had walked away from the faith. He says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 wrote of the Christian being one day presented holy and blameless before the Lord, if indeed you continue in the faith. The Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, the one who endures to the end will be saved. In the book of Acts, Paul on different occasions would urge new believers to continue in the grace of God. And along these very same lines, Jude would call us to keep ourselves In the love of God. Charles Spurgeon writes Perseverance is the badge of true saints. The Christian life is not a beginning only in the ways of God, but also a continuance in the same as long as life lasts. And it's not a matter of mere creedal orthodoxy alone, as important as that is. This is a moral perseverance to which Jude is pressing his. Readers, they were in danger of falling under the sway of the false teacher's perversion of grace into a license to sin. Grace was being paraded as the freedom to commit sins without restriction, to flaunt God's commandments all in the name of grace. And thus for Jude's readers, as Joel Beakey puts it, contending for the faith does not begin with a direct attack against error but rather with a lifestyle of godliness built on biblical truth. Now we want to be very careful not to misunderstand what Jude means by this. He is not saying that we are saved by our good works or our own ability to keep ourselves. Jude is not saying we somehow earn or merit God's love for us. We obey and we keep ourselves as a result of God's love for us enabled by his work in us and in response to his love. And that's clear even in the book of Jude itself, in the the contrast that Jude has made thus far between the, the false teachers and these dear believers who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ back in verse 1. Then the letter closes with that familiar and and comforting doxology to the one who is able to keep them from stumbling. In fact, the whole book is framed by the reality that God keeps his own. And Peter David says, this is the one time that they are called to keep or guard something, and that something is themselves. 
Thus the result and the necessary consequence of God's love for us and his keeping of us is that we must keep ourselves. This is no different than the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the Philippian believers to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Joel Beakey frames it like this. God preserves his people so that they will both keep and contend for the faith. And according to Jude, that means keeping ourselves in God's love for us. And so perhaps in one sense, we don't necessarily need to ask if Jude is making a hard and fast distinction between uh, maintaining our love for God or keeping ourselves in the sphere of his love for us because our love for God only can flow from and is a direct result of his love for us. Part and parcel of our persevering in the faith is our increasing love for God. But that love only exists and can continue to exist as a result of his love for us. J.N.D. Kelly puts it like this, the love which men have for God is itself the flowering of the love which he bestows upon them. So the reality is that, that our efforts to love and obey God and efforts they must be is part of our, our keeping ourselves in the sphere of his love and that very love we have for him is a result of and a response to his love for us. And so this isn't some uh, cold legalistic burden that Jude is laying on these dear believers where, where we somehow earn or merit the father's love It is the love of God for us in which Jude is commanding us to keep ourselves. Remember how you are loved by the Father. And then it's not much of a burden to be asked to keep ourselves in that kind of love. I love the language of the hymn we just sang. What a Father's smile is thine. Do you recognize how you are loved by the Father, dear believer? The prodigal son returned home to to a display of of welcome and and lavish reception out of the father's love for him. It is the love of the father for that undeserving son uh, to which we are to marvel and, and, and at which love the only right and reasonable reaction is the son's return of that love and a renewed effort to remain in it, the love of the father. And and moreover, our our communion with God, our our obedience to his commands, our keeping ourselves in his love. If you are a believer, it is not that we don't struggle with these things. Oh, we do. But these are delights that when we lack them, we grieve. That when we have them, we long for more of them. And the presence of these realities are to a degree present in every true believer because God is keeping you, he is enabling you, because you are kept for Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, then, you, believer, are to keep yourselves in his love. True believers, those who are kept by God, kept ultimately from stumbling, will and thus must, says Jude, keep themselves in the love of God. And so in Jude's command here, we see the call to Christian perseverance. Now, how do we do that? Secondly, we see the way to persevere. We keep ourselves in the love of God by the use of three means, says Jude. Uh, First, we have the command, and then that command is, is fleshed out by three phrases that tell us how we 
persevere. And Jesus says we do this by building, by praying, and by waiting. The first way Jude gives us by which we keep ourselves in the love of God is by, verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Uh, This language of, of building comes from the world of architecture. It's familiar language in the Old Testament when it comes to the church and the people of God. The people of God are described in many places as, as God's temple, God's building. You are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone in him. Also, you are being built together. The idea here is, is building up from a foundation Jude had written to to urge them to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, Uh, the faith being that whole body of Christian truth, the, the gospel with all of its moral implications even. And now he tells them that the way for them to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints is to be building themselves up in that most holy faith. Not merely a common doctrinal creed that he's getting at here, but a, but a, but a comprehensive truth with, with implications for all of life and for all of our faith. And Christopher Green explains, Jude wants to see the whole of our lives, that is our intellects, actions, consciences, motives, and imaginations brought increasingly into conformity to God's word. Quite simply, this is a command for the church to be growing up in the faith under the ministry of the word. David Helm imagines Jude to, to walk amongst us and say, it is time to build, people. You've been dwelling too close to the ground. Rise up. The apostles poured a godly foundation. They have given you Jesus. Now build yourselves up in him. Know the faith. Study God's word. The challenges facing the church are grave and they require all the structural support the Bible can give. Jude calls it our most holy faith. It is sacred and holy, thus set apart and wholly other because of its divine origin. Thus, this, our most holy faith, in which we are to be building ourselves up, is wholly different from every other kind of religious claim or system. William Barclay puts it this way, it is different in that it has the power to make those who believe it different. It's not only a mind changer, but also a life changer. Not only an intellectual belief, but also a moral dynamic. The word of God is the primary means by which the Holy Spirit works in the life and the soul of every believer. Jesus put it this way, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is it that will build up the lives of God's precious people? It's the ordinary ministry of the word. A life spent under the Holy Spirit's working through the word of God. We call it an ordinary means of grace, but it is extraordinary in its efficacy because it is the divine instrument for change for you and for me, what will change and grow your spiritual life? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And the language here conveys a continual sense of this building. As you keep on building would really be a more accurate sense. In other words, this work is not a, a one-time construction project. 
but a lifelong one. And so it's, it's God's means by which we persevere, and Jude would have us know it's also our duty to do so. Uh, our confession, with such helpful clarity, explains for us that even our own ability to do good works is not at all of ourselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, enabling and influencing us, working in us to will and to do his good pleasure, but we are not to grow negligent of our duty to persevere in good works. It says we ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in us. Wilhelmus Abrockel, as he, in an explanation for why many Christians experience a lack of growth, would agree. He says many are hindered in their walk solely by laziness. Just as it is true in the natural realm that the soul of the sluggard is desirous but has nothing since his hands refuse to labor, so it is in the spiritual realm. We indeed desire to be in an elevated spiritual frame and to grow as a palm tree, but we are not willing to exert any effort, and thus we also do not receive it. This building ourselves up in our most holy faith is also a a corporate building project. This is not Jude saying, you should build yourself up and you should build yourself up and you and you and you. We should be building ourselves individually up. He's talking about the church collectively building ourselves up together. Our culture in particular particular, tends to to venerate that American ideal of the independent and rugged individual. But that American ideal of the independent and rugged individual, biblically speaking, is a recipe for drifting away. The life of the church and all of its membership is to be fed and nourished, built up from its foundation by the consistent ministry of the word of God all together. The second means by which Jude says we are to keep ourselves in God's love is by praying in the Holy Spirit in the second part of verse 20. By this, Jude is referring not to some uh, special higher plane of prayer reserved for Christians uh, of a a higher degree than other Christians. He's not setting up a dichotomy between ordinary prayer and special spirit prayer of any kind. This is simply prayer by means of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, prayer that is enabled by and, and assisted by the Holy Spirit. It's the prayer of every believer when we approach our Father in heaven through the merits of the Lord Jesus by the ministry and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Mark Johnston explains the Holy Spirit who enables us to pray that very first prayer of faith, Lord, save me, is the same Holy Spirit who enables us to maintain the faith-sustaining life of prayer. And faith-sustaining is the mindset of what Jude is getting at here. Uh, What a desperate need we have to have the mindset of a need for a faith-sustaining life of prayer. One thing this reminds us of is our complete and utter dependence upon the Lord. How do we persevere? How do we possibly keep ourselves? It is by casting ourselves upon the Lord in prayer. Uh, We pray in order to keep on keeping ourselves Do we need strength for the way? Prayer for the power of God is where we must turn. Are you weak and weary in your Christian pilgrimage? Prayer is the way we acknowledge not only our own spiritual poverty and need for divine assistance, but the way we access 
that divine assistance for our pilgrimage as we persevere. Isn't it helpful to realize that Jude considers this to be a part of Christian warfare? Part of contending for the faith, a a way that we strive to keep ourselves in the love of God because it is not automatic. Who, Who among us does not struggle to maintain a life of prayer, cons- a, a, a consistent prayer life can be a grueling thing. There, there, this is spiritual sweat and effort. We, we commit and, and we recommit ourselves to pray in the spirit in this way. There, there's a humility and an, and an acknowledgement of our human weakness in the very idea of this kind of prayer because thanks be to God, it's praying in the spirit. Praying in the Spirit is, is connected to the reality that is true for every believer. What, what does it mean for us that Christ has risen and ascended on high and has sent his Spirit to us and in us and that is, he, he is even now interceding for us at the right hand of the Father? What confidence can weak believers have in our prayer life? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a comfort it is to remember the Spirit's assistance, the Spirit's enabling of our very prayers. Simon Kistemacher puts it this way, the Spirit takes our feeble prayers and perfects them and presents them to the Father. Even when we don't know how to pray or for what, How often is that true? Because of that which is already true for every believer, that we have the Spirit, we can pray confidently, nonetheless, because of his assistance. And Jude says we must. Douglas Kelly wonderfully explains the the effectual nature of the Spirit's assistance in our prayers like this. The, The Spirit leaves the throne where Jesus is praying and comes down into the believer's heart where he begins to re-echo the intercessions of Jesus. It is as though the Holy Spirit places a mirror inside our hearts and turns it in such a direction that it reflects back to heaven the deepest desires of the interceding Christ. That's, that's like a great king who, who not only invites his feeble subjects to come present their petitions to him, but then going so far as to personally write their very petitions so that they're framed acceptably and properly before him. What an inspiration indeed for us to keep coming, praying in the spirit. And so far Jude has given us two means of keeping ourselves in the love of God the word, and prayer. I remember being at a, a Q&A panel at a small conference a few years ago, and the panel was asked, what was the, the one thing in your life that had the most profound impact on your spiritual life and ministry? And, and Dr. Kelly, who, who I just quoted a moment ago, took the microphone. And so here was this, this eminent, godly, erudite scholar and theologian, a giant among his peers, all ears were perked up to hear what this great man would say. What was it about uh, his, his, his past history that, that had the most impact on his spiritual life? And the thing to which he attributed it as having the most spiritual impact of his entire life and ministry was simply reading his Bible and praying every day over the course of 50 years. 
What is it that makes a spiritual mentor, a spiritually mature people in the church, but the Lord working on a person over a lifetime of sitting under the word and praying in the spirit? It is profound, even in its simplicity. This is what we want our children to know before they leave the home. This is what we want them to understand. Look, you're going out into a world that that is hostile to everything that you know and hold to be true. You're going to be tempted by an assault of ungodly options at every corner from within and from without. How are you going to make it? How will you contend for the faith, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit in a life of faith-sustaining prayer? That starts when you're little. It starts in the home. That's going to determine how you select the church. It's going to determine how we structure our family life and our priorities and all of our temporal issues. Uh, An earnest and devout pursuit of ordinary Christian graces is the divinely prescribed means to make it in this world. And it's fueled by divine power all the way. The Spirit uses the means of the Word of God to build us up. The Spirit enables us to pray effectually. And finally, all of this Spirit-driven perseverance is to be characterized by a heavenly mindset. The third means by which we keep ourselves in the love of God is by waiting. Jude says, waiting, the end of verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What is the Christian life waiting for? It is the full realization of the mercy and the salvation and the glory of an eternity of uninterrupted communion with the triune God upon the return of Jesus for his people. The verb Jude Jude uses has has the sense of, of an eager and confident expectancy because we know that this is not a matter of if but merely a matter of when and how long. And it's this posture of anticipation that is to characterize every believer throughout our Christian experience. This is the pilgrim outlook, the pilgrim mentality. This world is not my home. In other words, we are to be heavenly minded in all of our persevering faith and obedience. Uh, Our our lives are to be marked by an eagerness, uh, a confident expectation of everything that awaits us at the last day. The, The hope of the fulfillment of all of the covenant promises in Christ is what drives us even now. The, the last days in which we live, in which Jude's readers lived, uh, were marked by grave spiritual danger. And also in these last days, because of everything that Christ has already accomplished for us, there, there are things about us that are already true. We have the Spirit. He enables us to pray. He grants divine power to the ministry of the Word to build ourselves up. And Jude would have us persevere by anticipating the things that are not yet true of us. The glory for which we wait helps us mortify the lusts of the flesh. Now, the the fulfillment of all of those unbreakable covenant promises yet to come arms us now against the dangers of sin. Is the Christian life a life of toil and perseverance and struggle? Yes, it is. But it is a life of perseverance headed for incomprehensible glory. And, And so that which is not yet true but will be 
is to drive us now. That, that has always been true of God's people. You think of the, the record of that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What was behind their persevering faith? The hope of things yet to come. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. And that's the same hope of eternity Jude calls us to live by. Gerhardus Voss explains how the, the perseverance of these saints of old was fueled by their future hope. Whether the call was to believe or to follow, to do or to bear, the obedience to it sprang not from any earth-fed sources, but from the infinite reservoir of strength stored up in the mountain land above. This is the heavenly mindset that, that spurs all of our Christian perseverance. The, the full reality of everything that will be true of Christians already strengthens us as a result of the new creation having dawned in our lives by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it's that which enables our building ourselves up in the most holy faith and our praying in the Spirit, our keeping ourselves in the love of God. We wait with the certainty and the strength of that which is to come. The Apostle John wrote, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Well, one of the vivid pictures uh, that Pilgrim's Progress provides for us regarding the, the Christian's life of perseverance comes in one of the scenes in the house of the interpreter. The interpreter took Christian into a room in which was a fireplace in the center of the room, and, and the flames from the fireplace grew larger and hotter, even though there was someone continually throwing water on it to try to quench it. The interpreter went on to explain to Christian that the fire was the work of grace that God accomplishes in the heart and that the one continually trying to quench the fire with water was the devil. And yet the fire burned hotter and higher despite the efforts of the evil one. And then the interpreter showed Christian the reason behind the fire's enduring blaze by showing him the room behind the fireplace where there was a man secretly funneling oil into the fire. He said, this is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. No matter what the devil tries to do, the gracious work that Christ is doing in the souls of his people only increases. It's the grace of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus that, that enables us to persevere all the way through. And the end result of that grace-enabled perseverance is pictured so marvelously by Bunyan as, as Christian and hopeful finally reach the end of their earthly pilgrimage. They're on the cusp of the, the unspeakable glories of the celestial city that they had longed for all the way. There at the very gate of heaven, they asked the angels, what must we do in the holy place? And the shining ones answered, You must receive the comforts of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers, tears, and sufferings in your journey for the king. 
May God strengthen and enable all of us to, to labor in keeping ourselves in his love as we, we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and as we wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to the rest from all of our labors and the everlasting life which is to come. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, would you strengthen us to live according to your word in this way. Build us up in our faith, we pray, and do this in Jesus' name, for it is in his name we pray. Amen.